Brothers and sisters and dear friends, welcome again to the place where we take the Word of God, we open it up and we learn from it. We want to find out what is on God's mind and especially in the times we are living. Over the last few weeks and maybe more than a month, we were looking at the rapture of the church. I've explained to you that the rapture is a separate event from the second coming of the Lord and i believe in the rapture of the church i believe that god will come for his children he made the promise in john chapter 14 and he will come to get his church out of this world i also believe that that is very soon it's going to happen soon if you look on what's going on around the world and you believe in bible prophecy you will see that every single thing is falling into place for all of these events to happen we also looked at the dispensations last week and it was important for me to talk about the dispensational view of the Bible because we will see that the church age will come to an end at the end when Jesus Christ comes back for the church and remove the church out of this world. And that will be the end of the dispensation of grace. Today, I want to talk to you about the timing of the rapture. Last week, I touched on three timings of the rapture. The first is a pre-tribulation rapture, and that is what I believe in. And today I will only discuss three scripture verses. There is so many scripture verses I can go to, but instead of bombarding you with scripture verses and types of the rapture, which the Old Testament is so full of, I'm just going to stick with three scripture verses today, and you will find even that, has got a lot of content that you can meditate and contemplate on. Then there is the mid-trip rapture. And I've also explained to you that there is a group of people who believe that we will go through the first three and a half years of the final seven years before the Lord come and remove His church from the earth. Today, I will show you why I do not believe that that's the case. You will also have the third group, which is the post-trip rapture, which means that Christ comes after the tribulation. The church is going through the tribulation and then he will come with the second coming to receive his church unto himself. If you read the Bible, if you go through Bible prophecy and see what's going to happen in heaven during the seven years, that doesn't make sense. 
So I want to take the first scripture verse here, and I'm going to put both of them for you next to each other on the on 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 your TV screen or on the on the screen. The first scripture verse I want to bring to you is in Luke chapter four, verse sixteen. And Jesus enters now in his earthly ministry, a really important time of his ministry. This is after he's been baptized at Bethabara by John the Baptist. It's after the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and rested upon him. It is after a voice came from heaven, which said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It is after John the Baptist proclaimed about this Jesus that he will come after him and he will preach the gospel. Now we find Jesus in his earthly ministry walking into the synagogue and we're going to see a really interesting thing that happens here. I want you to follow very carefully. Luke chapter 4 verse 16. So he, this is Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and at his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, the custom back in the day was if a rabbi walks into a synagogue, he stands up, takes the scroll, and he reads to the people a passage from the scroll. Then he will sit down. Once he sit down, he has got the seat of authority. Everybody is quiet, and they listen to him now expand the scriptures. This explain the scriptures. This is where we find him right now. He stood up to read in verse 16. And in verse 17, as he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, I just want to stop there again. I want to explain to you the, uh, the, the gravity of what's happening here. They gave him the scroll. The book. The book here is a scroll. Back then, when he received the scroll, they were not chapter divisions. It was one big scroll, which was written from the end to from the beginning to the end. It was like a letter. It wasn't as if the paragraphs even were numbered. So he meticulously searched through the scroll. He scanned through the scroll or whatever method he used. He waited until he found the place which he's going to read out of the scroll now. So I want to make it clear that Jesus, when he walked into the synagogue, picked these words. It didn't just happen by chance where somebody opened up a Bible and go, any, mini miny, mo and pick a scripture verse. He searched for the scripture because it says there, he found the place where it was written. He found it. He was looking for it and he found it. Now he says in verse 18, and now I want you to listen. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery to the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the end of the verse. In the book of Luke, verse 20, 
Look at this now. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attend attendant and sat down. Now when he sat down, all of their eyes is now transfigured, transfigured on him. Rabbi, what teaching are you going to give us out of this passage that you've read? What are you going to tell us out of this passage? What heavenly insight are you going to give us out of this passage? He sat down. He had the seat of authority now. And the moment he opens his mouth, nobody jumps up. Nobody do anything. He talks now and everybody listens. He closed the book right there. He said after the words to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is he saying? He is saying to them that he came and when the Holy Spirit came upon him because he proclaimed that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, that give him the authority, that give him the unction, that give him the power to preach the gospel, the good news. The good news is so wonderful, my friend. He preached it to the poor to heal the brokenhearted. Let it be known that the gospel, nothing else, no medicine, no pills, no psychologist, no self-help books, no self-help tapes, no health coaches or life coaches, but the gospel is the only thing that will heal the brokenhearted. The gospel. There's another proclamation here. To proclaim liberty to the captives. The captives who's enslaved by sin. By yokes upon them. He brings liberty. Let it be known the gospel brings you out of the captivity of sin. Of the yoke of sin. And then there's another proclamation. He says recovery of sight to the blind. The blind here is the spiritually blind. Yes, he healed people physically and made them to see. But here, this reference here is of the gospel. And let it be known that the gospel is the only thing that will make you see spiritually who God is, what he teaches you. You will not understand the word of God if you are still spiritually blind. That's a proclamation of the gospel. And then he goes on to say, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Let it again be known here today that the only thing that will bring you out of oppression is the gospel. Now, And let it then be known, another proclamation that he gives, that the gospel proclaims the acceptable year of the Lord. As long as the gospel is preached in our age, doesn't matter how difficult it is, doesn't matter how dark the clouds on the horizon is, as long as we can preach the gospel, it is the acceptable year of the Lord. Virus or no virus, lockdown or no lockdown, lockout or no lockout, as, so, as long as we can preach the gospel, it is the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Now let me show you what he read. He took the book of Isaiah, and we are so privileged that we do have the book of Isaiah. And we can also today open up in the book of Isaiah exactly where he read that passage from. And we find this in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. Let me read to you, and you listen very intentively. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those who are captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, just wait there for a minute, because let me just say this before I go right into the verse. When the prophet wrote this down, he didn't understand what he was writing. You see, the Bible says in Peter, they were looking forward into our day. They didn't understand the Holy Spirit being poured out on all of us. They couldn't understand that. They were looking into it. Uh, Isaiah was writing these words and he didn't have a clue what the future implications of these words were. When he wrote, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings. He didn't even know the word gospel. He didn't understand what the good tidings meant back in the Old Testament. We know now when Jesus Christ read those words, he said in, in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. What is the gospel? It is the good tidings. It is the good news. What is the good news, Isaiah? I don't know. What is the good news, Jesus? It is that I, Jesus Christ, will die on the cross for your sin. <clears throat> and then he gives us the explanation of the gospel. But here is the point I will make, because it brings me to the topic today, the timing of the rapture. I want you now to focus your eyes on the screen and look at verse 2 in Isaiah 61. And then also, it's on the same screen for you, on Luke chapter 4 verse 20. He says in Luke 4 verse 20, uh, 4 verse 19, beg your pardon, fix your eyes in Luke 4 verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. This is Jesus. So he says to them, I'm going to preach the gospel. It is the good, acceptable year of the Lord. Isaiah. Jesus didn't finish the verse. He didn't complete the verse. He stopped halfway in the verse. Can you see it for yourself? Look at Isaiah chapter 61 verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We know what it is. It's the gospel. And I'm going to get to it. Just give a second. It's the gospel. And then, comma, he says, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't say that in the synagogue. He didn't read that passage in the synagogue. Why? Why didn't he read that passage? 
Because my dear friend, brother, sister, it is not now, today, the day of the vengeance of our God. That day is still coming. It's still coming. There is a comma between these two days. Now, I want to take these verses and I'm going to put them now on my timeline and I will explain what I mean. So if you look at the timeline now, you will see that again we've got Jesus Christ at the beginning of our timeline. And before the cross, he said to them in verse 21, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, when he sat with them in the synagogue, he said to them, He, Jesus Christ, brought the good news. He proclaimed the gospel. And I gave you the proclamations of the gospel. But then, look on your timeline. There's a cross there. Jesus died. Then what happened? Well, we had the birth of the church. Jesus' last words to his disciples, or some of his last words is, go and make disciples. Go to all the nations and make disciples. How do we make disciples? We preach the gospel, the good news, with all of his proclamations. Baptize them and teach them. And, and on the day of Pentecost, we know that he ascended on high. He died on the cross. He went to the grave and he rose again. He ascended on high where he's with the Father right now. And then on the day of Pentecost, we know that the Holy Spirit came down the same way that he came down with him at Betabara. The Holy Spirit came down and was poured out on the church. The birth of the church. These men came out of that room. And they were in different tongues and languages. They were proclaiming the gospel. This is the good news, the good tidings. What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you that we are in the acceptable year of the Lord because what Jesus Christ said is landed upon your and my shoulders. We can say now the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us in the church to do what? So what should we do with the Spirit of the Lord? To be selfish and keep it for yourself? To proclaim that we are so high and mighty and there's nobody in the world who can touch us? To try to build a ministry out of it? No, no. The gospel or the Spirit of the Lord is upon you and me for one and one reason only. And that is to proclaim the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to lay to liberty captives, and to make the blind to see and to give the oppressed liberty. What, what Jesus proclaimed, we proclaim now. Because the Bible says that Jesus said, I'm going to pray the Father and I'm going to send you another comforter. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in you and me. And now we, we are proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. The church is proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. It is called the dispensation of grace by Paul to the church of Ephesus. We are living now in the dispensation of grace. We are living in the church age. And I know, I know that there are people who are saying that we are already third way down. The third horse of the apocalypse has already come out. And I will show you that is a lie. We are, and I am, 
proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. If there is an ear who can hear me today, I'm telling you to repent of your sin, to turn to Jesus Christ. That is the good news. And I can still preach it today. And tomorrow, God willing, I will still preach it. And next week, God willing, I will still preach it because it is the acceptable year of the Lord. Until the Lord comes and He removes the church from the earth, and then who's going to preach and proclaim the gospel? So, brings us to the rapture. Because at the rapture, something interesting is happening. Look on the screen there. It starts a seven year of tribulation. Of the day of Jacob's trouble. Of a day of the vengeance of the Lord. Seven years. Why that seven years? Well, Israel needs to be punished, but not only Israel, the whole earth for the sin and the depravity that's upon the earth needs to be judged on the earth. The earth needs to be judged. And this is when it starts, at the rapture. At the rapture it starts, the seven years of tribulations. At the rapture the comma happens. The comma happens between the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, rapture, and the day of the vengeance of our God. The vengeance on this earth takes place after that. Now I want you to look at your screen because I want to show you something interesting now. If you read on in Revelation chapter 6, you read of the sea, the first seals that will be opened. The first seal that will be opened is a white horse that comes out. And the writer on it is given a bow. There's no mention of an arrow in it, but it's a bow. It means a bow is a weapon of war. And, and it says there in Revelation chapter 6 that he will conquer, conquering and conquer. Now, I know what some people say that the horses is out there and riding around, but that has not happened yet. Oh, yes, there's talks about it. You know, I know I've heard about Macron and I've heard about, you know, Putin and I've heard about um, Xi Jinping and I've heard about all these people. But this rider hasn't come out yet and conquered. Now, let me say. If you, if you look at world politics, what's going on? Oh yes, I can show you the signs of everything that's, that's coming into place for this conqueror to come onto the scene. The, the new world order, the global government, the, everything is coming into place. And, and did the virus, did they leak the virus to push this forward? Absolutely. But let it be known, these horses hasn't been released yet. Because if the horses has been released yet, what is the church doing here? What is the church still doing on the earth? So, so I've also heard, and let me address it right now, that people say that we need to prepare the church for the tribulation. And, and I've been taken on so many times in my life, in the times that I preached the, the pre-trib rapture, and I, I've been excommunicated by a group of people, and I've lost a lot of friends. And I say, God bless your heart. But let, 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 let me just say that the message that I've been getting from these people is, you need to prepare the church. And my question is always, for what? To be militant? I read nowhere in the Bible about a militant church. To go up against the conqueror? Where in the Bible does Jesus say prepare the church to, to withstand the conqueror on the white horse? 
That's not the church's work. I come back to the church's work, which is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord with the proclamation of the gospel. Nothing else. And I know there's people who say that we need to get involved with politics and, and, and we need to let our, our voice heard in, in the government. If the Lord calls you to that, if the Lord gives you the, 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 the calling and the anointing to do that, God bless you, I'd go and do it. But I want to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord until He comes. So the white horse comes out to conquer. Then the second horse, the second seal uh, uh, sounded and a red horse comes out. And see what this horse is doing. He takes away the peace from the people. The peace from the people and people will start killing each other. Is that already happening? Oh yeah, preacher, yes. If you just look at America and if you look at, you know, Black Lives Matter and if you look at Antifa and if you look at the white supremacists and you, these people are all in each other's heads and so on. Let it just be known today. This peace that he's talking there about is a world peace that's going to be taken away and people will be killing each other. Life will be worth nothing in a global scale. You haven't seen that yet. And let it be known you do not want to be on this earth when that starts happening. A great purge. Because there's no peace. Jesus said to us when we were, He said to the disciples, My peace I leave with you. Not the world's peace, but my peace. But here comes somebody who takes the peace away. Will you want to tell me now that that, that horseman is stronger than the peace that Christ gave us? How do I prepare a church for the second horse rider? You tell me. How, how do I prepare it that somebody takes away the peace? No, no, my friend. I do not believe the church is meant to be here when the second horse rider comes out. But let's look at the third horse rider because it gets more intriguing. The third horse rider in, in, in Revelation 6 talks about a black horse. And this horse has got scales and he, and he weighs out how much a little bit of food is going to be. And that means a worldwide famine is going to break out like you've never seen. Now again, I want to say to you, to those people who say that the third horse is already out riding through the world, I want to say to you that I do not believe, excuse me, believe that. There is science that sets itself up for future famine. You hear it now. It's playing off on your news channels. They say that, you know, if we continue the way we continue now, they, we're going to run into food shortages. And that might happen in certain countries. But we're talking about a global famine. I haven't seen that happen yet. And you who proclaim that the horse is already there, you might be standing up from your breakfast this morning when you listen to this message, or your lunch, or your nice T-bone steak with a nice potato and, and you know brown gravy over it. And you want to tell me you've eaten that nice, you're feeling well satisfied, sitting back, and then you proclaim to the people that that horse is already riding and we are already there in nearly in the middle of the tribulation. You don't know, honestly, respectfully, what you're talking about. When this famine comes, everybody will feel it. And I do not believe that the Lord is leaving His church to struggle through a famine to prove what? 
But then we come to the fourth horse, the pale rider. And this one is, is terrible because it's death and Hades. You see, death, death kills and Hades collect the souls. Death is in front. It means it is a big harvest of people dying, of people dying. And he mentions there that a quarter of the population will die. Now, I've got some math up there for you, and I want to show you this for those people who say that the horses is already out there riding. If you look at the population as of today, there are 7,753,000,000 people currently in the world. When the fourth seal will be sounded or released or opened and the pale horse comes out and death is in front killing because death is the one who kills. He makes a separation between body and soul. The body goes to the grave and if you, if, uh, at that point in time, if, if you are unsaved because the church is already gone, the soul goes into Hades. This is what we see. You know, when, when you read in Luke, Luke, where Abraham is on one side in Hades, but Jesus Christ came and he, he captured the caption and he took everybody to heaven, to paradise. So if I die tonight, my soul will go to Jesus in heaven, in paradise. But you see, now after the church is removed, those people is already in heaven. But now he says death comes and he rolls over and he kills so many people as he can. And the souls, death is a separation between the body and the soul. And, and because there's no now, no more going up into heaven to be with Christ because the church is removed what happens to these souls of unbelievers of, of, of um, people who do not believe in God atheists and agnostics and who poke nose at God if they die at that point in time their souls are captured are, are reaped up by Hades it waits there and he says so many, and he, and he mentions things like killing, like famine and killed by beasts of the earth, animals, wild animals. But look at the numbers here. If that happens, it means that 1,938,250,000 people is going to die. He's going to die. There ain't been any death like that before. And this is only the start of it. Now you want to tell me that the church is going to be in the middle of that? And the church... It's going to go through all of that death and destruction. And we've got to try to keep the church underground. We've got to go underground and hide from the authorities so that we can stay alive. So that we can stay alive until the end so that the rapture can take us out. You want, you want, to, you want to tell me that I've got to be now fearful for death? Oh, but wait a minute. We shouldn't be fearful for death. So what are we doing in war? Why, why is God then, the Lord then let us, allowed us to go through this war and peace that's left? There's millions of people billions of people that's gonna die that's gonna die it sounds to me like a day of the vengeance of God and 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 you know there's people who say that this first part is only going to be man-made man-made the second part is God no no the peace will only be taken away when the restrainer is removed by God by God nothing is man-made so, 
So this is the first part where I believe that before the day of the vengeance happened, and look, I can continue on now and I can talk about the other Trump uh, seals open up and then we come to the, the trumpets, then we get the wormwood who's going to hit the earth and, and you know, uh, the war is going to turn into blood. For those people who believe that we're going to go through until the end, then way the church is going to run around and drink blood just to quench our thirst. Then there's, you, you know, then, then, then there's, there's people going to die, millions. And we've got to navigate the church through that. I want to say, come Lord Jesus, come. So I want to jump over to the second uh, comparison of verses now that I want to compare for you and why I believe in the pre-trip rapture. I want to take you now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 and you know this passage very well. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and he says I don't want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For I believe that Jesus died and rose again even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus shall we shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now you know that I've, uh, I've preached on this for the last three Sundays. The reason why I give you these three scripture verses is one is by Jesus. And I prove to you that Jesus proclaimed the day of uh, uh, the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of the Lord. And I showed you the common place there where I believe the rapture takes place. We fast forward now to the apostles, to his disciples, now apostles. And we find Paul talking about the same event, the comma event, the rapture event. He says that the Lord will come on the clouds himself and he will bring with him the souls which is with him now and their bodies will be resurrected and they will be reunited with their souls. We will be changed. Listen to this in a twinkling of an eye and you can go and read on in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 15 and you can continue reading through this passage how these bodies is going to look and all of that. But this is not going to be a fleshly body. We will be changed and meet the Lord in the air and be with him then forever. I asked the question last week. I said, where did Paul get this that he's writing down here in Thessalonica? Where did he get this? Is it something that he had a revelational knowledge from or what? No, no. Last week I started explaining to you that Paul was a very clever Pharisee. He studied the scriptures. In other words, he knew the Old Testament better than you and I know it. And I want to show you today where he found it. And then we're going to see the amazing thing that he preached the rapture based on the old scriptures. And where shall he go to other than Daniel? Now, I'm going to show it to you on the screen here, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And I'm putting them side by side so that you can compare them. Because I believe this is where Paul found it. He read the scriptures. He studied the Old Testament. And then... Because he was against Christ at first. Then on the road of Damascus, the Lord appeared to him. He got saved. He went to the desert of Arabia. And there the Lord 
spent time with Paul and opened up the scriptures for him and made his blind eyes to see so that he writes to the, the church in Thessalonica, the Lord is coming to get us. This is not something new. It's not something he's dreamt up. It's not something that started in the church in the 18th century. Paul got this from the Lord and he got it from Daniel. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. At that time Michael stand up. The great prince who stand watch over the sons of your people. Michael is known to be the protector of Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never since. Uh, let me just stop and read it slowly. And there shall be a time of trouble. A time of trouble. Such as never was since there was a nation. So what is he saying here the Lord to Daniel? Or, or what Michael, what he said, what he, what he said. There will be a time of trouble such as there was no time before than there was a nation. What is the first nation that was established? Israel, amongst the other nations. And all of the wars, since that, all of the wars from the first nation up until here we're sitting in 2021. He says there shall be a time of trouble such as there never was before. Never before. So forget World War I, forget World War II, forget all of these other wars. There's coming a time. I've got a suspicion I know what time that is. I reckon it's when the white horse and the red horse and the black horse and the pale horse is starting coming out. Because that reads about a time that you and I haven't heard of before. It reads of a time where lots of people will die. I forgot to tell you, even if you take those numbers, the billions and so on, and you bring it down to Australia. Australia's got 25,690,000 people. And if a quarter of those die, it's 6,422,000 will die in three years' time. That's a lot of people. That wipes out Adelaide, totally. Brisbane. <laughs> that's a lot of people. That, that sounds to me like a, a time of trouble like never before, doesn't it to you? And then he says on, he says, even to that time, and at that time, when? At that time when it's going to happen. Not after it's happened. At that time when it's going to happen. What's going to happen there, Michael? Um, what's going to happen? He says, at that time your people shall be delivered. Sounds to me like a rapture. It sounds to me like somebody taking them out of that time of trouble. I don't know how you want to read it. Everyone. Now, who's going to be taken out then at that time? Who is the people that will be delivered at that time? Now, remember, I want you to understand something. When Daniel wrote this in the Old Testament, he didn't have a clue what was going to happen in our day. When he was writing down, your people shall be delivered, he most probably thought about the Jews. The nation of Israel. He was captive himself. And at that time you will be delivered. But then he wrote this down. He says, everyone who is found written in the book. Hello? What book is he talking about? The book of life. 
The book of life wasn't evident in his day. It is more applicable in how we know about the book of life. We know about that book of life. This is fantastic and amazing. And he says there, these people shall be delivered who's, who's found in the written in the book. And many, now listen now carefully, because this is where Paul now got his story. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Wait a minute. What did Paul say? He said, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And he says in, in, in verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What did he say here in, in Daniel? And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. It sounds like a resurrection. Some to everlasting life. Whoa, wait a minute. There's two resurrections in the Bible. I've preached about it. Go and search for my, for my videos. There's two resurrections. The first resurrection is this resurrection. He talks about it in the book of Thessalonians. He says, and, uh, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who remain will be caught up together with them. And we will go to heaven and they will be the beamer seed, the judgment seed of Christ. The first resurrection. In the book of Revelation, he says it's better to be part of the first resurrection and not the second one. Because the second resurrection is the resurrection of the condemned. Let me read on. I'm, I'm getting excited here. He says, he says, some to everlasting life, first resurrection, some to shame and everlasting content, second resurrection. Those who are wise shall shine like a brightness of a firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Wait a minute. Is he hinting yet towards the gospel? Those who turn many to righteousness? How do you turn many to righteousness? Through the gospel. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the end of time, time of the end. So in the Old Testament, all of these things were concealed. In the New Testament, it's now revealed. The time is now that the sealed book has been opened in the book of Revelation. Many shall run to and fro. And this is what happening. Even in the church, there's so many people who run between teachings. You know, one day they believe this, the next day they believe that. And then somebody comes out, a very prominent preacher comes out and says, Oh, I always believed in the rapture, but now I've got different. And, and then he sways hundreds of people and thousands of people to believe like him. And then there's this new development going on. And all of the people run after that. Many will run to and fro. It's describing our day, the time of the end. And knowledge shall increase. Well, I rest my case. Now on the timeline, you can see all of this playing out. That the rapture takes place and the dead in Christ will rise first. And he will take us with him. And then that time of trouble will happen. And in that seven years and after that, Christ will come to set up his kingdom. Now I want to hurry on to the last uh, passage. Now I've given you Jesus Christ before the cross. I've given you the, the apostles. And now I'm giving you a prophetic book. The book of Revelation, which is written for our day. Old Testament. Uh, acceptable here when Paul and the people were preaching and we are preaching still and then in the future the prophetic book that's my first passage 
and I go to the book of Revelation. I go to the key of Revelation, which I believe is the key, which open up the whole uh, Revelation to us. Revelation 1.19, he says, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. These three tenses he mentions here. He says, the things which you have seen, that's past tense. And that refers to when he spoke to, to John on the Isle of Patmos. He's in chapter 1, in Revelation chapter 1, he saw Jesus. He described to us Jesus, how we will see Jesus. If you ever want to know how Jesus is going to be when you die, don't believe the little comic books where Jesus is this man with a brown beard and brown hair, long hair, and this white robe. No, no, don't believe that nonsense. If you want to see Jesus the, the way that he is right now, when you will see him when you die, go and read Revelation chapter 1. You will see him like that. That's how we're going to see him. And this is what he says to him. Write down the things which you have seen. Past things. And then he says the things which are. That's present tense. Are is a present tense. And what is that? That's the church age. Chapter 2 and 3. There's seven letters to the seven churches. And all seven letters address all of the, the, the years in this dispensation. And, and it, it, it crosses over. But it speaks to the church. It speaks to you and to me. And then he says, which will take place after this. That's future things. But he uses the Greek word therefore after this. Meta tauta. Metatauta means something will take place after the current things stop. That's what metatauta means. And then what happens? We read through chapter 3. We read all the churches, Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And then we find chapter 4. And it's so telling. Because chapter 4, Revelation 4 verse 1, he starts off where after these metatauta, after these things end, after what end? After the church age end, after the year, the acceptable of the year end, after the dispensation of grace ends, then this is now going to happen. What? He says, after these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. In heaven. Wow. That sounds like an invitation. An open door. He sees a door standing open up in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. It sounds very familiar to what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonians, isn't it? Let me, let me recall those words to you. He says, um, I don't want you to be ignorant of those who sleep. Let me just fast forward you there. Let me, let me just say. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. The trumpet of God. Whoa, wait a minute. What did, whoa, whoa, John, what did you see here? John in Revelation 4 verse 1 After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. And what did the trumpet say? Come up here. A door in heaven. It sounded to me like he's coming in the clouds to receive us unto him. John here is a type of the church. Now see what happens here. Maybe you've missed this, but I'll show it to you. He says, come up here and I'll show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately. 
I was in the spirit and behold the throne set up and one sat on the throne and then he goes on. There is something significant that happens here. There's something significant. Immediately I was in the spirit. He was changed in the spirit. A change takes place. What's going to happen with the rapture? We are alive. We will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and you will get your heavenly body. Now I'm not saying do not put words in my mouth that he, Paul went in the revelation in his heavenly body there, but a change took place. He, I was in the spirit. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Fred, I'm going to stop it there, but I want to say to you that I absolutely believe that we're in the final, in the end days. I, I, if you look around you, there's, there's no more hiding around it. I feel very sorry for our young people and I, if you're young and you hear me right now, I feel sorry for you, but also not. If you are in Christ, if you're holding on Him, believe me, you are, you are going to miss nothing on this earth. If the rapture takes place tomorrow, it, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing that even can compare with what is waiting for you. I'm talking to you young people now. Do, do not sit and, and say, but I'm not going to have a time like my mum and dad got married, have children and all of this. If that happens, the Lord tarries to come. Praise the Lord. He's going to bless you. And, and, and He will look after you. If, if you sit there, I don't want you to be fearful, young man, young, young woman. I don't want you to be fearful because if, we, if the Lord led us to come through this time and, and the rapture can take place tomorrow, it can take place in 20 years. You say to me, but preacher, all of these things in the world happens. It sounds like next year is the Great Reset. Yeah, well, the Great Reset is not the Great Tribulation, is it? Persecution might happen. But I'm talking about the Great Tribulation, and that could take time. I'm not saying it's going to happen in the next year or so. Many people are very brave to put that down. I, I, I feel sorry for our young people, but I'm feeling excited for you because you might you might go into a stage where the Lord will just enrich and, 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 and make you fall. For people with young children, for young parents, I'm, I'm talking to you now. I know how you feel. You've, you've got a future. You've got this young, bright you know, family. And you say, but I want to see my children grow up and I want to see them marry and I want to see them have children. Know this, that if the Lord decides to come for you and for your family and the rapture takes place, that there is nothing on this earth. There's no fullness on the earth that can replace what he's got for you in store. And I want to talk to you who might be fearful about these things. Put your trust in Jesus. Just do that. Just put your trust in Jesus and, and know that he's got his best intentions for you. May the Lord bless you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you spoke to us. I pray, Lord, that you will bless your word. I pray that you will, your Holy Spirit will make the word alive. I pray that you go with young people and all of your people now, Lord, to, to have their rest and peace in you in Jesus' name. Amen.